Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Honestly, relax. My family literally had child servants in Bangladesh. Excuse me? What? If they don't become maids in our houses, they become child brides in the village. Is that what you want? Uh, I just, I feel like I'm hearing from the perspective of someone who had servants and not the servants. Like, this girl Melissa. Oh, I'm sorry. Melissa from Coburg is an expert on improving labour practices in Asia. Am I supposed to listen to the rich girl from Bangladesh or the poor girl from Melbourne? Hmm. Some people use critical thinking instead of trying to find the most depressed person in the room. Hello and welcome to our summer special on 3CR Community Radio. Um, I'm Nick from Freedom of Species. We're currently taking a break from that show um, and it's the final week of summer specials. And yeah, so we'll be back to regular Freedom of Species presenting from the 22nd of January onwards, 1 till 2 p.m. here on 3CR as usual. Um, Before you heard Out of the Pan with Sally, uh, make sure you check that out uh, via the 3CR website and Sally will be back soon, um, back to regular programming as well. So yeah, here on um, our summer special, um, yeah, in addition to to hosting Freedom of Species, I also do a podcast called Progressive Podcast Australia, um, sometimes with Lottie who is here with me. Um, Thanks for joining me, Lottie. Hi. And so today we're going to be covering, um, we're going to be covering, yeah, I guess more, more those kind of topics, the kind of topics I'd cover on, on that podcast, more, um, sort of human social justice issues. I mean, it covers a wide range of environmental and animal things too, but again, um, having a break from freedom of species this week over the summer programming. And yeah, we opened up with the clip um, from the TV show, Why You Like This. Did you see that show, Lottie, or not? Oh, I started watching it, didn't really get into it. Weren't a fan. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> because me, me and Katie, uh, my partner, really loved it. But I was just looking it up the other day before this special and it doesn't have great reviews. Not not the worst, <laughs> but kind of six, six out of 10, 60% kind of thing. But I, I thought it was really great. Um, and yeah, that was from season one, episode six. I will not speak for the entire queer community and I, I guess one of the reasons why I really like this show is is I felt like it um it kind of made fun of some of the things that are maybe overdone within sort of social justice spaces but without totally dismissing like challenging sexism or homophobia or whatever else being a negative thing if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. I thought it was um a, yeah a good way of approaching that yeah it's like a, a critique from within rather than totally dismissing any efforts yeah uh, to challenge whatever it might be homophobia or whatever like i'm thinking back to there was one episodes where one of the character who I, I feel like perhaps is the maybe the most obvious who kind of falls into the category who tries to do the right thing but often in doing so kind of does the wrong thing in a way and where she was really um pushing a, a guy at her office to have like um queer flags and stuff like that and in the end it was revealed without uh yeah giving too much of a spoiler um but it ended up like he was a queer man himself and she was kind of almost like potentially outing him by hounding him so much so she was trying so hard to be an ally that she was not doing such a good thing i guess um yeah and so today yeah both this week and last week we're looking at um we're looking at the topic of identity politics and particularly leftist discussions around identity politics. And last week, I guess we'll get into what we covered last week and summarise a bit for that for those who haven't listened to that one yet. But I guess in terms of what we're covering today, last week um, I was a bit, uh, or I, I guess I could probably say we were a bit critical of some of the critiques of identity politics from those within the left. And, and this week we're going to look it into some... Um, some of the critiques which I think do have some more validity in terms of challenging, I guess, a certain form of identity politics, which which we'll get into and, and see what Lottie thinks about it as well. Um, but, yeah, I guess just to base the opening discussion, um, yeah, that one uh, a podcast I like called Revolutionary Left Radio, they had a show called Elite, Elite Capture, How the Powerful Took Over Identity Politics and Everything Else. Um, and there was a point in that show uh, where the guest on that 
episode said it's not up to more privileged people to just follow those who face more oppression it's up to you as a more privileged person to work out these issues yourself in a way like of course you can learn from those voices but i thought that was kind of um yeah relevant to that opening clip we played in terms of yeah using critical thinking rather than just trying to work out who's the most oppressed and listen to them i guess so mm. yeah obviously again coming up with opinions that are, are influenced by those group but I guess on the surface, it sounds like a positive thing of I'm listening to that group, but in a way, it yeah, he was saying it, it's not such a good thing because you're sort of taking yourself out of it. I've got no responsibility for that. I'm just going to listen to this group and that's kind of the end of story. Like, yeah, it, kind creates, of, it creates a lot of work for people from those groups too to be constantly educating as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and we'll get into a song along those lines at the very end as well. Um, but I guess I, for those who didn't catch our special, so we did a special along similar lines last week and we were reading from some blog posts I've written over the last few years on these topics and so we read the first two on that show we're going to read the final one on the show today um, but for those who didn't catch that is there anything you'd like to say to sort of uh, give listeners a little bit of an insight into what we covered last week to get them up to speed or um, I guess do we want to start with defining identity yeah politics? sure yeah yeah um I don't. Do you have the? I don't, I, <laughs> the I don't have last week's last notes week's. on me. No, um, but it was basically it was sort of uh, a certain kind of politics where activists express their identity or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 And focusing on your identities, uh, which could include being a woman, being um, from a, a the LGBTQIA community, um, being a person of color, and yeah, bringing that into your politics. And I guess what we talked about. Uh, last week was Nick talked about kind of the origin of that term, which originally wasn't a negative thing. It was it was kind of a, a positive thing of like I like my I, my politics are identity politics because I think it's important to um, bring those marginalized identities to like to the front and 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 create more um, representation. Um, but the way that it's it, it's t- kind of turned into. I think the way it's usually talked about now is it's always a negative thing. So mm. if, if someone brings up, um, yeah, like um, thinking about people of colour or or queer people, then it can kind of be dismissed as like, oh, that's just identity politics. That's, um, uh, that's kind of like um, a distraction away from the real issue of what mm. we're trying to talk about. Um, so I guess some, um, some, some issues we talked about were, for example, um, Nick had a conversation with someone online about um, community gardens um, and someone had raised the issue about um, gentrification possibly being a, a kind of like a risk when you're, when you're working on a community garden model and one approach that you could have is, oh, well, but community gardens are good so we shouldn't, we shouldn't distract by talking about gentrification but I think what we both agree is that um, both are really important. And so, if you want to, if you want to bring positive changes like um, community gardens, for example, you need to be thinking from an intersectional point of view of is this really helping everyone? Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to bring something. This isn't something we covered last week, but it's kind of uh, consistent with the uh, consistent with, I guess, the messaging or some of the concerns and and my. Thinking around this issue, so I was speaking at an environmental conference, um, yeah, so activist conference kind of thing, activist event, and yeah, I, I'd um, yeah, it was just during the lunchtime or something like that, and just someone there said something like. I can't remember exactly how it came up, but like there's so many talks on identity politics, like kind of in a dismissive, mm. negative kind of way. And just before that, I'd been to a um, a workshop. It was kind of around like Me Too in the environmental movement, like dealing with sexism within environmental spaces and that kind of thing. And I, I was kind of thinking like for that session, like identity may have been somewhere in there and there was predominantly focused on people who identify as women, but like identity was such a small part of that. It was more about safety within spaces and, and those kind of issues. And so I guess that was sort of our critique last week of, of a, a wide range of issues that might not might have little to do with identity are kind of lumped in with identity and any discussion around sexism. Like there were, there were other sessions around uh, Indigenous you know, issues and relationships with the environment and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm not sure what talks they were specifically lumping in with that. But again, from me just sort of, again, 
attending some sessions and also um, just like looking at the schedule, not many of them actually seemed to be about identity, but it seemed like, well, this is an environmental conference. Mm. And so anyone talking about how environmental issues intersect with feminism or how uh, indigenous knowledges can help us, you know, resolve and, and reduce environmental problems, like that was all identity politics and that was kind of yeah frivolous or kind of not the real thing um which is just such a simplistic and frankly boring way of thinking of things like if you can only if you're only interested in a particular issue like environmentalism and you're not willing to think about all the ways that that manifests in the world amongst like different groups of people and and cultures like it's just so simplistic but to to be able to kind of be on your high horse and be like, oh, well, that's identity politics, so I'm better than all that. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think even within, like, certain issues, I feel like some people think that way of, like, they'll go to a talk on a certain issue, but they'll bring up their particular issue, you know, if that makes sense. So I was seeing um, Naomi Klein's speech. She's a, a journalist and activist and um, has written quite a bit about climate change. And someone was like, oh, did you ask her a question about animal agriculture or whatever? And, and like, in terms of the environmental impact in that regard, an issue that, yeah, at least according to that person, she's less aware of or or doesn't raise a lot and that kind of thing. And and I was thinking, well, I already know animal agriculture is a big <laughs> impact mm. on the environment. I want to hear what she's got to say because it's again it's not that one issue like you can always learn about other things as well so Mm -hmm. yeah I agree and so that that was sort of my initial kind of thinking around um identity politics of like these critiques are all just sort of a, a bit a bit boring a bit um yeah, a bit not very accurate, I guess, and it's just like, yeah, we we shouldn't be doing this stuff, but and possibly uh, harmful as well. Absolutely, to those yeah, groups. absolutely, yeah. yeah, harmful in terms of like undermining or acting as though discussions around racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, whatever, are sort of a, a trivial distraction or almost like um, again, I'm put putting words into these people's mouth, but it almost feels like they're saying it's like a self indulgence almost mm-hmm. to talk about that. We should just be talking about the environment, um, and I guess to bring in whiteness to that as well like if we don't bring in in indigenous perspectives even though we're not saying like our perspective has been formed within um yeah i heard a concept of a white habitus which is sort of like the idea like habitus is like ways of beings like if you've grown up within like predominantly white communities families schools etc that's going to have some kind of an impact on your politics and so i guess the like it's going to be influenced by that, but you're just not labeling it because the dominant identity. Whereas, like, yeah, indigenous indigenous knowledge is, is likely to be labeled as that because it's not the default within uh, colonial societies as well. So we spoke about that a bit last week too, in terms of labeling and who gets labeled and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, yeah, well, let's get into the article. So again, we're going to read the third article in this series I've written on um, a blog, me and others, right on progressivepostings.wordpress.com. And yeah, and then we'll, we'll jump in with some comments, updates, critiques, etc. as we go, and as well as at the end as well, I'm sure. Um, and I guess I want to start off with, and I should actually say as well, like I know last week, Lottie, you were saying you were kind of surprised in a way at the angle I was taking because you'd heard me talk more recently about this topic. So I guess these blog posts were kind of written in, in the order my thinking was evolving. So I kind of started off as like, all these critiques are bad. Um, but then I was like, no, actually, there are some more specific critiques that I do think have some um, merit, which we'll get yeah. on to today. But yeah. I do think it is important to kind of start off with the the kind of like basis of what we talked about last week, which is basically emphasising that we're not just dismissing identity politics as, as frivolous. Mm. And then it means that as today we'll get into um, some critiques of, yeah, potential approaches to identity politics that we have. But, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important to, um, to not kind of take – what we what we're talking about today and be like okay so identity politics is bad yeah yeah absolutely yeah it was a good order of of you know you putting doing the blogs and and us talking about these issues yeah they're good ideas and we stand by them i think (laughs) but um yeah exactly i i I definitely do stand by that that i think there are some bad um bad critiques of identity politics but i guess um similar to the way a lot of those critiques kind of lump again any 
um, like any discussions of feminism with kind of, which we'll get into in this article, like neoliberal feminism, for example, rather than only being like one possible option. Um, yeah, again, if we're kind of critiquing all critiques of identity politics, we might be kind of caricaturing caricaturing those critiques as well. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get into all that. So I guess um, one cartoon which I saw on Twitter, and this is the, the image for this article, but it's got um, people um, presumed to be in you know, some nondescript country middle, like there's um, like a headscarf and stuff like that. So it appears to be somewhere in the vague region of the Middle East anyway. Um, and there's planes flying overhead, dropping bombs. And the guy in the cartoon says, they say the next ones will be sent by a woman. And the woman says, really makes you feel like you're a part of history, which I think is a kind of a good entry into um, some of the more, yeah, again, some of the critiques we're getting to around specific forms of identity politics. Yeah. Yeah. So should I go ahead? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, now I'm reading the, the Now blog. we're going to sum up again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so in previous articles in this series on identity politics, I argued that some critiques of identity politics are overly broad and can sometimes oppose the important labelling of privileged identities. However, I do believe there are some valid critiques of a certain form of identity politics, something journalist Naomi Klein refers to as trickle-down identity politics. Klein argues that this form of identity politics, typified by people such as Hillary Clinton, prioritise achieving a more diverse range of people in positions of power. This thinking is based on the idea that if more women, for example, get into positions of power, these benefits will eventually trickle down to women as a whole. This is similar to the concept of trickle-down economics, where the priority is ensuring wealth for those at the top, with the argument that in doing so, this wealth will eventually trickle down to everyone else. Trickle-down identity politics in practice. However, Klein argues that this trickle-down does not necessarily occur in practice. For example, she points out that over the last few decades in the US, which has included eight years of the first African-American president, Barack Obama, and a higher proportion of African-American people at the top generally, the overall wealth gap between the white Americans and African-Americans has actually increased. Likewise, Jacinda Ardern's Labor government in Aotearoa, New Zealand, has seen greater representation of Maori people in government, while the over-representation of Maori people in prison and suffering from poor health has continued. Eleanor de Jong explains in The Guardian, despite a record number of Maori MPs in government, little has changed in the appalling socio-economic statistics that reflect the lives of New Zealand's Indigenous people. Hip-hop artist Loki has raised similar concerns in a UK context and he tweeted, the most authoritarian and in some ways eugenicist policies are being pursued by the most diverse cabinet in British history. Does representation matter as much as policies? Yeah, so I think we'll we'll go to a track here, but again, that I guess we're coming through this week about some of the stuff I've found within, um, yeah, different media, um, academic stuff as well, where, again, there, there's perhaps some more valid and more specific critiques identities going on. Uh, I guess in a way to somewhat get back to what we were discussing last week, um, in terms of the value of first-hand experience, it's obviously not the only way we can learn about issues. Like we could learn about imprisonment from having first-hand experience of being in prison. Um, we could also learn about prisons, like the the institution of prisons, by you know reading statistics on issues like um, overrepresentation of Indigenous people. So again, I don't think it's the only way we can learn about things, but it, I, I do think as an important um, an important form of knowledge. And so, sort of along those lines, we're going to play the song "Racist Sexist Boy" by the Linda Lindas, um, who talk about their experiences with racism. A little while before we went into lockdown, a boy in my class came up to me and said that his dad told him to stay away from Chinese people. After I told him that I was Chinese, he backed away from me. Eloise and I wrote the song based on that experience. So this is about him and all the other racist, sexist boys in this world.
I know fire. I know that burning embers from bushfires can travel 30 kilometers, lighting new fires in seconds, like the one that burnt my house down. I know extreme fire danger ratings or above aren't announced often, but when they are, you need to be ready. Check the Vic Emergency app daily and be prepared to leave early. How well do you know fire? Plan, act, survive. Go to emergency.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to our summer special on identity politics and uh, looking into some leftist debates around identity politics today on the show where reading and discussing an article I wrote called Questioning Trickle-Down Identity Politics. Um, so, yeah, we'll get straight back into that. So the next section of the article is called Weapons and Identity. Joe Biden's approach to picking his cabinet has been consistent with this approach. Um, and so Joe Biden, US president, <laughs> probably goes without saying, um, a bit more representation of marginalized groups at the top to give the appearance that things are different while continuing the same old policies of imperialism and neoliberalism, etc., that harm marginalized groups. As Oliver Millman explains in The Guardian, Joe Biden is piecing together what he has promised to be a diverse cabinet with Michelle Flournoy, reportedly top choice for U.S. Defense Secretary. Flournoy was previously a senior defense advisor in Bill Clinton and Barack Obama's administrations and is considered a political moderate. Since leaving government, she has been involved in various consultancy roles around military contracts. Similarly, uh, on the Vegan Vanguard podcast, now uh, the Total Liberation podcast, they made the point that most of the biggest weapons manufacturers now have female CEOs, but these companies are still consistent with patriarchal values, such as a might-makes-right mentality. And now we're getting into neoliberal or reformist feminism. My thinking on this issue has been heavily influenced by the ideas of Nick from Pink Spot's podcast. She has argued along the lines of there has been an effort from those in power to grant access to a small number of people from marginalised groups to positions of power instead of policies that would benefit that group as a whole. She cites the book Feminism for the 99%, a manifesto, as being important in developing her ideas on the topic. A quote from this book that she passed on to me is, Neoliberal feminists want a world where the task of managing exploitation in the workplace and oppression in the social world is shared equally by the ruling class men and women. This is a remarkable version of equal opportunity domination, one that asks ordinary people in the name of feminism to be grateful that it is a woman, not a man, who busts their union orders a drone to kill their president, uh, sorry, to kill their parent. <laughs> I should have got a video of you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> or locks their child in a cage at the border. Um, and I did want to uh, say that I've read Feminism for the 99% oh, cool. and it's a really good book, so definitely recommend that one. Great. Similarly, feminist scholar Bell Hooks has argued in her book Feminism is for Everybody, Passionate Politics, that reformist feminism has become the route to class mobility for certain women who have been able to maximise their freedom in the existing system while accepting and indeed colluding with the subordination of working class and poor women. And just to jump off script for a moment or away from the article, again, I think these critiques, like that is from a book about feminism. And so it was from the feminist. So again, it's not saying, yeah, women talking about politics is identity politics and that's a bad thing, or it's not saying feminism is automatically identity politics and, and that's a bad thing. It's more um, critiquing a certain version of feminism, but not assuming that that is all feminism or that's what feminism has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um. I think, uh, so back to the article in this uh, section is about Kamala Harris. So I think Kamala Harris as the first female vice president of the United States is a good example of this idea of trickle-down identity politics. In her victory speech, Harris said, Every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. 
Such comments work to obscure historical and ongoing sexism in the US, just as Obama's election victory is used by some to ignore ongoing racism in the country throughout his presidency. Similar to the points from Hooks above, this approach to feminism means that while sexism does not end, some women are able to gain positions of power at the same time as using the existence of a woman in, a woman in that position to encourage people to overlook sexism faced by women more generally. Uh, so this is a tweet from Dr. Crystal Fleming uh, at Always the Self. Imagine excluding women from national office for going on three centuries and somehow spinning Kamala's vice presidency into the fairy tale that, uh, quote, little girls can do anything, unquote. I'm very sorry, but having one female vice president in 244 years does not demonstrate that, quote, girls can do anything. It demonstrates that we live in a violently sexist society in which patriarchal extremism still excludes girls uh, still excludes women and girls from equal access to power and resources. Not only is she the first female vice president, she is also the first black person in this position. Biden giving her, uh, picking her for this role could, on the surface, be viewed as some kind of concession to the Black Lives Matter movement. However, Harris takes a punitive approach towards crime, with such an approach disproportionately affecting black people. So Biden is able to give the impression of a change in approach by picking Harris while continuing with similar punitive policies that he supported under the Clinton administration, which led to the mass incarceration of black people in the US. Um, and if you would like to look more into these issues, um, there's a video from the Jimmy Dore show on YouTube, YouTube called Biden Pick His VP uh, Kamala is a Cop. Um, and yeah, I think we've just got the conclusion of the article, but I think we'll we'll do that after the next song because I I just wanted to briefly just kind of I guess in a way link the two articles to some extent as well. But um, on the last uh, our last special, which we did last week, um, we spoke a bit about the importance of um, like labeling whiteness. How like uh, similar to what we've spoken about today, like often we, we don't say, oh, this is like white environmentalism. We'll just say this is environmentalism. But if we're not bringing indigenous, uh, indigenous knowledges, for example, then that is often what we get, even though it's not labelled. So um, we, we spoke a bit about the, the importance of, um, yeah, like labelling whiteness rather than being upset about being called white, a white man. Like that labelling of whiteness sort of challenges the idea of like whiteness is at a fault. Like whiteness is one identity amongst many rather than we've got all these other ethnic identities and, and white is just the default, the norm, etc. Um, but I guess to sort of bring, and I, I absolutely agree with all that, um, but I guess to sort of link it to some of the things we're discussing today, uh, I do remember, um, yeah, quite a while ago hearing an interview and, and hearing someone saying like, you know, when they're told to say a bit about themselves, um, yeah, like I am a white, etc. Like, and that was the way they started the interview. And as much as I understand, um, yeah, again, the importance of labeling whiteness in discussion, um, at least at this point, I'm definitely could be persuaded otherwise, I'm sure, but, uh, I'm quite happy with not starting that. I definitely try and try and bring it in like where it's relevant. And again, in a way it is always relevant because it definitely has affected my worldview and my, um, my politics in terms of being, um, not only being white, but being raised in predominantly, obviously not exclusively, but predominantly white environments and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, at, at least for now, I'm okay with not starting my talks with. I am white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive through any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do um, but yeah, and I, I guess just from, uh, yeah, again, my experiences of, um, and, and this will lead into the song we'll play in a moment, but I guess experience of speaking around this issue is like, I, I understand that, um, 
I understand that uh, sort of starting that way because I've been on uh, panels, for example, speaking with women of colour and me and both of them starting from, you know, this is my ethnic background, that kind of thing is the first thing they mention. And then here is just me talking about intersectionality, intersectionality, animal rights, whatever it might be. Um, And so I understand that. But then I've also sort of um, heard people... I guess, trying to address that and then sort of start off with a talk like, oh, I've got Irish heritage or something like that. And I I do have Irish heritage, but I'm not at all (laughs) um, connected to that. Or, you know, it it would feel kind of almost um, fake to do that, I guess, in a way. Like if I just started off like my talk on insection animal rights going to, oh, by the way, everyone, I've got Irish heritage or something like that. It would just feel when it's not important to me. And of course, the fact that it's not important to me is because it's a privileged identity, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that of like, again, increasingly labeling whiteness, but I guess, yeah, sort of dealing with that on a more practical level. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of not really sure what my preferred approach is there or, or what is the, I guess, like least harmful approach or the most helpful approach um, because I think, yeah, there are kind of um, downsides either way. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe there could be an argument that if, if people of, of privileged identities are in the habit of saying, um, like, I'm white, I'm straight, etc., um, then maybe that takes the pressure off, like um, – marginalized groups from feeling like they have to say it um but i mean on the other hand it might it might put more pressure on them to kind of like out themselves as like oh these are my specific identities that i and i feel like more pressure here to to say it um and i guess it i feel like there is kind of something different about um like declaring your identities that you're proud of whereas like you know, you might be proud of, I don't know, like Irish or Italian um, ancestry, but you probably shouldn't be proud of being white. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a kind of a tricky one and, I mean, one that I'd be interested to, to hear more from, from other people and what, what they kind of think if they hear someone uh, kind of like introduce themselves as as white, straight, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely not anything I've worked out. But yeah, um, yeah again, I totally, based on what we always said last week, I understand that the logic behind it and even things like, um, yeah, like as someone who is like, you know, cisgender and, and fairly gender normative, etc. Like I understand the importance of a, like a, a placard at a conference of having like he, him, for example, in the idea that, those who are cisgender, those who are kind of more like gender normative, gender conventional, whatever, um, like have preferred pronouns as well. Mm. It's not just transgender people, non-binary people, et cetera. So I kind of understand that from that perspective. Um, I guess it's just about, um, yeah, again, I'd kind of feel like if I was doing that, it would kind kind of be like, I don't know, to kind of tick that box rather than being genuine or rather even necessarily bringing about any positive social change, I guess, if I started talks with I've got Irish heritage or I'm white or something like that. But, yeah, yeah I definitely I definitely do try and, yeah, bring it up um, and, you know, where where I kind of think it's relevant um, so it's not just like a, a view from nowhere. Um, and it is, like, yeah, again, we're all coming from a certain um, perspective and our upbringing and our identities have, have shaped who we are and our politics and that kind of that of like being upfront about that but um yeah exactly how how upfront we have to be is again definitely something open for discussion and and definitely something neither of us are acting as though we've worked out the so-called correct way to do that but yeah i wanted to sort of link that to this song we're going to play which is not black enough by proper and yeah i recently did a rotation show featuring proper's music they're a band i really like um And yeah, this song is all about black identity. So um, one of the lyrics is, I'm black and most days I'm proud to be, proud of our culture, proud of our history, but that doesn't solely define me. I refuse to let my skin color become my identity or whatever else you want to use to try and confine me. And 
I don't want to at all compare <laughs> compare like white identity versus black identity because again, as we covered last week, like often uh, marginalized identities are perhaps in a way like overlabeled by those who don't have those identities. Those who have them can be as upfront or otherwise as they want to be. But I'm talking about from those with more privilege of kind of putting certain labels on people whether they want them or not, and that kind of being. Um, quite central um, and to link that to last week as well um, Ricky Gervais TV shows a lot of his stuff it's like the identity of that character is like a black man for example and that is kind of the extent of that, that all the stories kind of based around that guy being a black man for example I think of extras in that particular example but um, yeah whereas I think you should leave it's like it's not a black man it is a black man but it's more about that's a friend of so and so that's a partner of so and so etc so um yeah it's it's kind of yeah it's who who is doing it as well um but yeah i guess to kind of link it to um yeah and it's complex because again i think on in the contrast we need to speak about whiteness more so um anyway i just thought it was kind of relevant in terms of talking about um in terms of talking about yeah identity and all that kind of stuff so this is proper uh, and the song is not black enough. I do have to mention as well before we go to it, there is some um, swearing, some explicit language in the song. Hey man, we need to talk. And this time I'll try not yelling. Just don't appreciate remarks about how real black people are jive talking fatherless felons. Who the fuck are you to tell me I'm not black enough? Cause if I lost my cool In the eyes of the law I'd be two shades too dark to trust Being black Isn't getting to say the n-word Honestly, I prefer if no one said it at all No, being black Isn't wearing a free Chief Keef tall t-shirt Waiting for your father or parole officer to call that's not it And hey man, you're kind of an asshole For thinking it's cool to say that shit I never fucking asked you Your opinion on Tyler Perry Your interracial relationships Or how you wanna fuck a black girl Cause objectification some accomplishment Or how easy I must have it Cause what's in my pants must be really big But being black Isn't having a 12 inch dick Although I've let that assumption get me laid more times than I care to admit I'm being black Isn't being a mad woman Having the trick or gold dick to support hood rat kids oh, That's not it
This summer, tune into 3CR's Disability Day broadcast, Rest is Survival. 12 hours of programs by people with disabilities. Conversations about rest as a necessity for survival, the ways disabled people are habitually denied both rest and income, reflections on disabled rest and joy, disabled Indigenous anti-capitalist features, and much more. All the audio is available to listen back at your leisure at 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2022 or find the podcast by searching 3CR's Radical Radio on your favourite podcast app. My name is Todd Fernando. I'm the Victorian Commissioner for LGBTIQ plus communities and you're listening to 3CR. Welcome back to our summer special on 3CR Radical Radio covering the topic of identity politics and... I think we're just finishing up the article I wrote, then we'll get into some thoughts on that. I think it was your turn, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So just the final thoughts from this blog post. Of course, having a certain identity or belonging to a certain group can put issues on your radar more prominently than those who do not have a particular first-hand experience of an issue. For example... People who use a wheelchair may think of issues around accessibility in venues more than those who don't. So having more representation of a certain group could lead to a greater focus on the issues affecting that group as a whole. However, we shouldn't automatically assume that such representation at the top will have this effect. Otherwise, we run the risk of a small number of people from marginalised groups being given positions of power and then being pointed to as a way to ignore the ongoing issues faced by that group as a whole. All right, so any questions, not questions, uh, critiques, comments or anything like that for you now that we're done with the article? Yeah, I guess um, I just thought, uh, yeah, so like we, uh, you talk in the article about um, Kamala Harris and Barack Obama and I guess electoral politics is, a, um, I think, a, a, a kind of big area where this issue of potential trickle-down identity politics is... Um, is a, you know, possibly more of a concern because it's so much of a like, it's either this person or the or another person. Uh, whereas I suppose, I guess you get it in like leadership positions um, generally, but like um, I suppose in like activist groups and, and maybe um, groups that, that don't have such a like hierarchical structure, um, hopefully just people from all backgrounds and experiences should be should be part of it and there shouldn't be such a like yeah hierarchical structure meaning that it's just a select few um who um who are really you know um providing their input and and making decisions whereas the the kind of political systems that we do have is one where when we're voting where we're trying to you know make a difference and people will have different opinions as to how much of a difference you're actually making, but the, you know those who do vote, um, you're making a difference, but in a kind of a situation where it's like, oh well, it's this person or or it's that other person, and so um, yeah, I guess um, this is ki- that was kind of um, the the US the last US election was when that kind of identity politics kind of came on my radar, mm. um, and wanted to sh- shout out. Uh, your show on Progressive Podcast Australia, uh, which was episode 251 called A Deep Dive on Identity Politics with Bitchy Shit Show, which I thought was a really great episode when I listened to it back then um, about this kind of issue of trickle-down identity politics. Um, And I think, um, uh, yeah, the context that it, as well as Kamala Harris, the context that it kind of came up then was in the um, the Democratic primaries um i guess yeah bernie sanders was was still kind of in the running um and i think there are you know valid critiques of bernie sanders from people who are you know even more leftist than him uh as well as um people of color who who think that um his policies don't go far enough in um um you know um considering and uh considering people of color and doing the things that uh, those movements want, like reparations, for example. Yeah. Uh, I believe he's kind of, you know, not as a little bit kind of behind or doesn't really talk as much on those issues as 
people would like. Uh, but then on the other hand, um, uh, oh, what's her first name? Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren yeah. was yeah. kind of a, um, seen as, as like uh, an alternative to him um, because she was a woman and all, I mean, there was that whole r- weird thing about whether she was also Indigenous. Um, anyway, let's leave that to the side. But just the <laughs> fact that the, she, show, the yeah. fact that she's a woman, um, and I think just maybe like just ticked a few more boxes in terms of like symbolic gestures of um, of um, yeah having having more. Um, yeah, maybe a bit, a bit more of like identity politics or symbolic gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, as it, whereas you know, Bernie Sanders is just more about global kind of, um, uh, you know, eradicating poverty and mm-hmm. um, tackling climate change, things like that. Things that will affect everyone. Um, so yeah, I yeah. think that was that was like a a time when I was I was thinking about it a little bit more and and it and it's annoying because sometimes none of the candidates are really perfect. So mm. yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say I, I believe that Bernie Sanders did sort of incorporate some of those critiques and probably did mm-hmm. better on those issues than he has, but of course that doesn't mean there's more like further he couldn't have could have yeah. gone those, those issues racism, I was st- yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. I I tended to agree, but I was still hearing that kind of critique mm-hmm. from from people. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to like dismiss that and and you know i'm not a voter in the u.s so i like, <laughs> yeah. wasn't quite following it as much as i probably would have if if i was a voter yeah yeah that's right yeah and i think there was also like you know sanders i think was definitely further left than warren as well mm-hmm. so yeah there was that kind of thing of like yeah do we go through a further left candidate whose you know policies would arguably or i guess from my opinion would benefit like more people including from marginalized groups or do we go with warren who's like less left more left than biden obviously but um yeah yeah, but like her identity but i guess thinking about like that one person at the top versus like who would benefit from healthcare for all of those kind of things or yeah where they differ anyway i did want to when you mentioned hierarchies as well i wanted to briefly bring in just i recently was reading uh, or learning about issues around um, sexual harassment so yeah content one i will discuss that briefly non yeah very generally though but um yeah i just from um learning about this issue and, and this is probably fairly sort of you know common sense but um in hierarchical organizations there tends to be higher rates of issues like um, sexual assault and sexual harassment those kind of issues um including military law medicine um including universities as well and perpetrators tend to be in a senior position and that's again mm. probably fairly fairly straightforward but i guess in terms of thinking more radically about hierarchies if we do have women at the top like because of those hierarchies uh sorry because of gender norms in our society it probably would lead to less of those issues going on because of the gender dynamics but we may uh i guess see other forms of abuse towards those at the bottom it might not be sexual but it might be um yeah just poor treatment in different kinds of ways so i guess again that might be sort of some kind of improvement of having more women at the top but i guess a more radical approach is like challenging those hierarchies more fundamentally i guess to get back to your point around politics yeah yeah anything else you had or no no? okay another um issue i wanted to get in then was again which i thought was uh again got me thinking maybe there is something to this again at least certain kinds of critiques but um is around the pressure to disclose identities um, mm. because identity is a, a relatively or, or maybe has come to the prominence more, uh, again, because of important conversations of challenging the fact that a lot of you know, panels and, and things were just by default were straight white men, et cetera, so for important reasons. But um, it, it has become yeah more of a discussion that was like who's hosting this, whose voices are representing, who are leaving out, et cetera. Uh, and to give a pop culture example of this, uh, The Morning Show, did you watch that issue, uh, that show, sorry? The Morning no. Show has got Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell and a bunch of others. But, yeah, me and Katie, my partner, enjoyed that show. Um, it, was sort of, it was sort of around the Me Too movement, but also looks into the complexities of, like, not just the perpetrator, but what about people who kind of knew about things but kept quiet and, and those kind of issues. So it was, um, it was an interesting show, actually, um, or it is. I think it's still going. But... One of the characters was going to be hosting uh, a white woman and she was going to be potentially hosting a panel with another white woman. 
Um, and there was a discussion of, well, you two can't host because we don't want two straight white women hosting the debate. That's not a good look. Uh, and one of them was actually queer. I, I don't know if you sh- how that character identified, but yeah, it was attracted to both men and women anyway. So bisexual, pansexual or something like that, perhaps. Um, and so she was assumed to be straight. So she's got bi-erasure going on there as well. Um, and again, I guess that, that, that focus on identity can lead to, oh no, I am also like a queer woman. And, but she, she didn't want to be out about that as well. Mm. Um, and obviously that's a fictional show, but to link that to more real life, um, the act, this was a few years ago, 2020, um, actor and TV presenter Jamila Jamil, um, came out as queer after a social media backlash, um, to a role as a judge on a TV voguing contest, um, which I did not voguing is, but it's a highly stylized modern house dance originating in the 1980s. Um, evolved out of the Harlem ballroom scene of the 1960s and it was created by a queer community so it was the idea of like what is your place to host that show and then she came out as queer yeah sorry just I was going to say just check out the TV show Pose which is all about voguing a really good show as well okay cool yeah Um, but yeah I just thought that was kind of so bad and kind of brings me back to like why you like this of like I imagine like because those on the right wouldn't care about that right like Mm. whether someone was queer hosting that show so it's coming from those on the left those kind of more progressive but i just don't see how we can see that as a progressive or positive thing like um hounding a a woman of color until she comes or anyone but just in this case particularly like a woman of color until she comes out as queer like again i don't see that as like progressive activism or a positive thing or anything like that as well yeah yeah Yeah. i agree i thought about that when um I know that you, uh, Nick, and, and Katie also have watched the movie The Prom. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there's a, a character, um, so it's a it's a musical, so based on a Broadway musical, and it's a Netflix, Netflix film. Um, and James Corden plays a character in the Netflix film version um, who's a gay character. Um, and uh, look, I, I don't really care about. Um, uh, like complaining that James Corden is is playing roles maybe that he's not talented enough for, but I, one specific critique was um was that he's not gay and that it was a gay character, um and I just I just feel like a little bit like uncomfortable with how much that's a, a kind of emphasis and you know maybe the maybe the argument could be I'm actually not sure I assume he might be. Married to a woman, but yeah, I'm not sure I, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. even know. But people were saying like, "Oh, well, he's not gay," mm. um, so they must. I assume they base that on something. Um, you know, it could be something like, um, "Oh, this is a this is a gay character, and so we want someone who's like, you know, maybe someone who's in a a relationship that's visibly queer." Mm. Um, so, you know, someone with that kind of experience is like deserves more, deserves those roles more. But I just don't think it's it should be as black and white as like, oh, you need to be gay or you need to be queer to have this to have this role because that does, I think, become kind of dangerous in in forcing people to out themselves. And it's it's a little bit. Um, I mean, I think it's different. I think it's totally different from um, cis people playing trans characters or. Um, or white people playing person of colour characters, um, especially because, like, some of the time that in- involves quite offensive, like, body modification, like blackface or mm-hmm. or things like that, which is, you know, it's, it's really offensive to do that and it also, um, it yeah, it takes uh, those roles away from people. I, I think other things probably should be done to make sure that by and gay and other, you know, queer people in general are given um, more roles and more opportunities in ways that that don't force people to out themselves. Yeah, and I think you pointed out in that movie as well there was, like, I believe a gay actor playing a straight man as well. So, it, in, yeah. uh, I believe, so it's, it didn't necessarily Correct. take away, even if, if if James Corden is straight, it, it, it didn't necessarily take away role from gay actors necessarily because they could also play straight characters too. So, yeah. as you say, it's kind of not as clear cut. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we are out of time actually for today. Um, so, we're going to finish up with the song um, How the World Works by Bo Burnham. I do have put 
put in a note regarding swearing about this one too. Um, and yeah, if you if you yeah want to hear some new, new more music, stay tuned for rotations for um, a bunch more as well. Um, and yeah, that is all we have time for today. Um, thanks again for joining me, Lottie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, kids. Today we're going to learn about the world. The world that's around us is pretty amazing. But how does it work? It must be complicated. The secret is the world can only work when everything works together. A bee drinks from a flower and leaves with its pollen. A squirrel in a tree spreads the seeds that have fallen. Everything works together. The biggest elephant, the littlest fly. The gophers underground, the birds in the sky. And every single cricket, every fish in the sea gives what they can and gets what they need. That is how the world works. That is how the world works. From A to zebra to the worms in the dirt. That's how. Hey everyone, look who stopped by to say hello. It's Socko. Hey! Where you been, Socko? I've been where I always am when you're not wearing me on your hand. In a frightening liminal space between states of being. Not quite dead, not quite alive. It's similar to a constant state of sleep paralysis. Socko, we were just talking about the world and how it works. Boy, that sounds complicated. Do you have anything you'd want to teach us about the world? I wouldn't say anything that you probably haven't already said yourself. I don't know about that, Socko. How about you give it a try? All right. The simple narrative taught in every history class is demonstrably false and pedagogically classist. Don't you know the world is built with blood and genocide and exploitation? The global network of capital essentially functions to separate the worker from the means of production. And the FBI killed Martin Luther King. Private property's inherently theft. And neoliberal fascists are destroying the left. And every politician, every cop on the street protects the interests of the pedophilic corporate elite. That is how the world works. Really? That is how the world works Genocide the natives say you got to it first That's how it works That's pretty intense No shit What can I do to help? Read a book or something, I don't know Just don't burden me with the responsibility of educating you It's incredibly exhausting I'm sorry, Sako. I was just trying to become a better person why do you rich fucking white people insist on seeing every socio-political conflict through the myopic lens of your own self-actualization? This isn't about you, so either get with it or get out of the fucking way. Watch your mouth, buddy. Remember who's on whose hand here. But that's what I... Have you not been fucking listening? We are in all right, all in a right, way... Wait, right. wait, wait, no, please! I don't want to go back! I can't go... I can't go back. Please. Please. I'm sorry. Are you going to behave yourself? Yes. Yes. What? Yes, sir. Look at me. Yes, sir. That's better. That is how the world works. That is how the world works. I hope you learned your lesson. I did, and it hurt. That's how it works. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.